Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I am about to do a new thing. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of the messenger who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. For you shall go out in joy and be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills shall burst into song, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. What do all those passages of Scripture have in common? It's not just that they're lovely and hopeful and well-known and have inspired a whole slew of hymn writers. They're also all words of the prophet Isaiah. And not just any Isaiah. They all come from the middle section of this long book, which biblical scholars believe records the prophecies of an unnamed prophet. Not the Isaiah who's introduced right at the very beginning of the book, but somebody else speaking in a different time and context. We have this one book called Isaiah, but inside we find the words of two or maybe even three different prophets. And for lack of a better name, the person that we meet in the middle of the book gets called Second Isaiah. No words have ever gone further in offering comfort when the sick world cries. Rabbi Abraham Heschel once wrote of this particular prophet's speaking. He is one of the Bible's great poets and great voices of hope. So it is particularly interesting that when God first called on him to speak, he didn't know what to say. Comfort, O oh comfort my people, says your God. We hear those words and we know we're in Advent, right? This section of Isaiah that we read today is sort of like an old Christmas decoration that you take out of the box after 11 months in storage. It brings up memories and associations of carols and anthems, of candles lit in the darkness, of anticipation and longing. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, we hear, and we think of John there on the riverbank, crying out and preparing the way for Jesus. These words are a fixture of this Advent time of year, something that we can count on. But of course, while Isaiah 40 may be an Advent text for us, it wasn't always that, certainly not to begin with. We are really looking at a prophet's call story here today, specifically at the calling of that unnamed prophet whom we refer to as Second Isaiah. The Bible gives us call stories for lots of the prophets, describing the moments when they were first summoned to do their work when they were given this command to speak for God in their own time. We've got stories like that for Moses and for Jeremiah and for the first prophet Isaiah. Many would say that when the angel Gabriel visits Mary, we have another prophet's call story. And if you have read some of these stories before, you know that right after the call to speak, there's almost always an objection from the one who is being called. 
No genuine prophet seems to go looking for this job, it seems. They all sense the impossible enormity of the task and its profound demands. And so they come up with a reason, or often several, of why God should go and find somebody else. Moses says he isn't articulate enough. Jeremiah says he's too young. Isaiah says he's a person of unclean lips. And second Isaiah, well, he says there's no point. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. A voice says, cry out. And Isaiah says, why bother? Nothing's going to change anyway. To understand that thoroughly dejected and maybe a little bit cynical response from this would-be prophet, you need to know a little bit about the world around him when he first heard that call to speak. In the early part of the 6th century BCE, the kingdom of Babylon sacked the kingdom of Judah and destroyed its capital, Jerusalem. The invading army leveled the city, including the temple, the spot understood to be the dwelling place of the divine presence. They killed many of the city's inhabitants and took most of the rest of them back to Babylon. God's people had become prisoners of war, exiles in a foreign land far from all that they knew, with a vast wilderness separating them from their home. It was an experience of profound trauma and disorientation, of course. And then the decades rolled on by. 10 years, 20 years, 30. As inconceivable as it had seemed, life went on somehow in Babylon. Those who had watched their city burn grew old and died. Babies were born, young people grew up who knew nothing personally of their people's homeland. And God seemed distant and hidden through the whole business. Perhaps God had finally turned away from the people for good. And then suddenly, 40 years or so after the fall of Jerusalem, there in Babylon, Isaiah had a vision. He was drawn up into the heavens, and God was speaking once again after all this silence. And the first word God spoke wasn't anger or punishment or I told you so. It was this. Comfort. Comfort, O oh comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid. There were others hanging around there too in the vision, angels or messengers of some kind, and it was like they had been waiting all their lives for God to start speaking this way again. There was a great commotion and they piped up without hesitation. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, one of them cried immediately. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Let's get this word of comfort out. It's about time after all. They couldn't wait to get going, to start speaking peace after so much sorrow, to proclaim the day where the glory of the Lord would be revealed, where people would know something besides exile and hurt, where the way home would be as apparent as a highway running back through that wasteland. Come on, the angels say. 
Let's get going. Isaiah's been there in the background through all of this, watching and listening. And then suddenly a voice addresses him. Is it God or one of the angels? That's not clear, but it's clear that he is meant to join in the work of proclamation, of pointing to the coming of God, to the new day that is just about to dawn. A voice says, cry out or preach, as the Hebrew literally says. That is a prophet's job. That is Isaiah's call, about as concise as you can get. But Isaiah isn't feeling it. He doesn't object here that he's too young or too inexperienced or too busy this week. He objects that there is no point. People are grass, and even if they do receive the message, they won't hold on to it for long. Nothing is going to change because of a few words. The people's constancy is like the flower of the field, he says. The word there in Hebrew is chesed, which we usually translate as steadfast love. Their steadfast love is about as steadfast as a petunia. It might last a season, but soon it's gone. Look around, God, says this thoroughly jaded would-be prophet. I mean, you think me saying a few words is going to change anything? We're in Babylon, in case you haven't forgotten. Our city is in ruins. The temple is gone. People have forgotten their faith. They've stopped caring. They've moved on and stopped expecting you to speak after all these years. And you want me to cry out? Really? What's the point? It's quite an objection. I sort of imagine the heavenly being standing there in stunned silence for a moment. But we might be able to understand it, don't you think? I mean, it's the sort of objection that you could very well make this December. What words could make a difference here at the end of 2020? In this time of so much uncertainty and disappointment, in this time of funerals delayed, of jobs lost, of hopes dashed, of plans derailed, when so much is broken and so much is wrong, what shall we say amidst the rubble? Our words aren't enough. We can understand the prophet's objection, I think. It's not hard for me to imagine responding a little bit like that. But you know that this passage doesn't end with the heavenly council there in stunned silence. In fact, an angel clears her throat and pipes up in agreement. Yes, you're right. The grass withers, the flower fades. People mess things up. Much is passing, much is uncertain. You're right about all of that. But that's not everything. Because the word of our God will stand forever. We hear the word of our God and we think of the Bible, which isn't wrong, of course. But there's no Bible as we know it there in Babylon in the 6th century BCE. So the angel must be talking about something else. About God's ongoing speaking. God's words of mercy and challenge and life that come to us in so many ways. Yes, the angel says, much is fleeting and uncertain, but here's what's not. God's promise, God's faithfulness, God's word of grace to us. That word will stand 
forever. And it seems that does it somehow. Isaiah gets it now. And the floodgates open and outpour the words of hard-won faith and hope that follow about the unshakable love of God, about the wilderness breaking forth into blossom, the messenger bringing peace, the mercy of God beyond money and price. It is prophecy tempered with human tears, says Rabbi Heschel, about all that this prophet will go on to say, mixed with a joy that heals all scars, clearing a way for understanding the future in spite of the present. It is comfort that throws a glimmer of meaning into a cave of wretchedness. That is what the enduring word of God does. That's what God's continued speaking of promise and peace, of grace and joy does. It heals. It clears away. It gives us the glimmer of meaning that we need to go forward. And friends, that word that stands forever is still there for us to depend on in this season. This promise that God is not finished with us or with the world, that God continues to make a way in the wilderness, that God will keep on feeding and gathering and carrying the sheep, every last one. It is a a word to hold close this season and maybe even to shout from the mountaintop. Thanks be to God. Amen.